0: Hey Soma Church, I'm Brandon Shields
1: and I'm Robin McKinnon
0: and we are thrilled to bring you the teaching portion of our gathering for today. As the coronavirus continues to escalate, we are just beginning it seems to come to grips with the massive personal and social disruption that it's causing. By disruption I mean for all of us we've had a drastic upending and replacement of our norms and our routines and our expectations our relationships, and even the systems that give order and direction and stability to our lives. History will likely look back on this time, I think, as a cultural turning point, along the same lines as the Great Depression and the World Wars and the Revolution of the 1960s. For some of us, this disruption is energizing. We love disruption. And for others of us, if we're honest, it's a bit paralyzing. And what makes this particular moment in the curve, so to speak, I think so challenging is the complexity of living in this in-between moment. We've kind of left the old reality behind, but we haven't yet arrived at a new normal. And what's worse, it's probably going to be a while before we get there. I was just reading an article this week where one author used the language of kind of climate change to think about this uh this time frame he talked about three different time periods that kind of guide our thinking one is the blizzard the next four to six weeks and i think for a lot of us a lot of people are acting as if it's just and living as if it's just a blizzard and then life's going to get back to normal but he said almost no public health experts really actually believe that what they're preparing for is along the lines more of a winter a more sustained blizzard a change in the winter condition so to speak that will last three to six months and then will eventually give way even possibly to what he calls an ice age like it could take 12 to 18 months before people are vaccinated and we have large-scale immunities and so i think for many of us we're just beginning to live into that reality and acknowledge that reality that this isn't just going to be a temporary disruption that it's a disruption that will maybe bring a new reality and so last week we talked about embracing a vision for becoming what we call a non-anxious presence or a peaceful presence in this moment of disruption. And the question I think a lot of us were asking after last week is how do we actually do that? What does it look like for us to build this kind of life when all the assumptions that we've lived with for most of our lives all of a sudden no longer apply?
1: If you have your Bibles, open with us to the book of Philippians. We're going to read today from chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me, Praise be to the word of the Lord. This book of Philippians is such an incredible encouragement to me and specifically because of the situation in which it was penned. So Paul's writing from a prison. He's an old man. And this is a time of massive disruption, both socially and spiritually. In his lifetime, Paul was able to encounter the life the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He was converted and then was called by Jesus himself to be a missionary to his people that were scattered across the Roman empire. And he began to experience the wave, what was the first wave of persecution against the Christian church, persecution that would eventually last for centuries through death threats, beatings, poverty, Arrests and imprisonment, Paul had an up close and personal view of how disruption threatens our peace as disciples of Christ. And now, in this letter, he's writing to one of his church plants in Philippi, and he's passing on this time tested, experience drenched wisdom for how to hold on to joy in the midst of disruption and anxiety. Perhaps what encourages me most from this portion of Paul's letters, what he writes in the second half of verse five. If you look at it, he writes, the Lord is at hand, meaning the Lord is near. And, and then semicolon, do not be anxious. The Lord is near, do not be anxious. And that line brings to mind for me um, when my children were really little and they had to do something that caused them great anxiety and they were nervous and they would look at me and say, mom, you come with me. And so I would extend a hand and I'd go with them. And sure enough, the anxiety would leave and they were just filled with courage to proceed with whatever the task was. And that's what God is inviting us to here. He's extending his hand and saying, I am near. God is our peace and he is our stability. We must ground ourselves in the things that are unchanging and the things that are eternal, the things that Paul calls true and good and beautiful. And when we do that, then we can remain nimble, creative, hopeful during times of great disruption like the ones that we're living in now. We have to start with the things that we know to be certain, that God is near, and then that is the foundation upon which we can build.
0: You know, the other thing that I love that Paul says here is that disruption is also an opportunity for learning and for growth. Paul takes anxiety, the anxiety that comes from disruption, and he reframes it as a school of learning. He says over and over and over again, I've learned... The secret of i have learned this i have learned that and this idea of secret is the word initiation this idea of initiation is an interesting word because it's the only time this word is used in the new testament it's actually a word that's borrowed from pagan initiation rites think greek and sorority rushing fraternity uh, that rush week this is the idea paul is is borrowing on here and he's he's using this to talk about this this need for learning in terms of disruption this, this word for learn is from a, the same cluster of Greek words from which we get the word disciple or discipleship or apprenticeship. What he's saying is that this learning, this, this secret, this, this contentment that we need in times of disruption to battle against anxiety, it's hidden. It's not obvious. It's often elusive. And what disruption does is it often reveals, doesn't cause, it actually just exposes In times of both prosperity, Paul says, and in times of adversity, what we're placing our hope in, what we're looking to to bring contentment into our lives. And so for everyone, the pandemic is not merely causing, but also actually revealing a baseline anxiety that holds both destructive and creative potentials for all of us. Kurt Thompson, who's a doctor, says it like this in a blog post this, this week. He says, the virus is a force of nature that simply is not easily reckoned with, as it enters into our civilization, it comes not only as a wrecking ball, it comes as a floodlight. It it exposes and reveals the anxiety that's already there. So this is an opportunity, Paul says, for us to learn contentment. This idea of contentment is uh, another word for detachment, or maybe a better way to put it would be freedom or an ability to relinquish, or an active yielding. Not a stoicism, not a detachment that withdraws for the sake of getting away from, but rather one that gives us the freedom to navigate difficult circumstances with joy and with freedom. So this is what you might call a growth mindset versus having a fixed mindset. In times of disruption, for many of us, we, uh, we, it's really hard for us, especially those of us who thrive on order and structure and linear thinking and rationality. We get narrow, we get rigid, we get constricted and demanding, and we look to the past. And what Paul's inviting us to is really more of a growth mindset, a learner's, a beginner's mind. Um, Where we evolve in times of crisis and we have an open mindset, a curious heart, an accepting posture, one that looks to the future and sees this also as an opportunity for development. And that's why Paul ultimately says, I can do all things. The only way I get through is I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. So this is not just a, a trite platitude that's meant to be held up at sports arenas. This is actually something that is, for Paul, an anthem, that I, I desperately need the power and presence of Jesus if I'm going to resist cynicism and despair and remain hopeful during times of disruption. Now the question is, how do we learn to put that into practice? How do we learn contentment? How do we, how do we take advantage of this moment to get into the school of learning? Paul says we, if we're going to experience the peace of God, the, the God of peace, We need to learn to put that into practice. We need, that peace needs a pathway. It needs tracks. It needs grooves to run on if it's going to get traction in our souls. And so Paul says the pathway to peace is found in paying attention to our practices and our habits. In times of upheaval and disruption, we desperately need order and structure to move from chaos to creativity. You see this all throughout the Bible, Uh, If you think about Israel coming out of the Exodus, coming out of Egypt uh, in the wilderness, God gives them the law. He gives them practices and social structures and personal rhythms to help them manage their anxiety and their sense of dread about leaving what's behind and moving towards the promised land. Think about Daniel and Jeremiah during the exile in Babylon, stripped of all of their culture and their past and their history, taken to Babylon, and then we read about Daniel and these rhythms of fasting and prayer and his diet. We we think about Jeremiah telling the exiles, don't freak out in in times of distress and chaos and anxiety. Build houses, plant vineyards, marry, do life, find a new rhythm of living. Um, Historically, this has been called a rule of life. And a rule of life, this kind of structure, has been really important to help people move from chaos to um, order and to begin to put into practice a non-anxious presence. John Veneer, one writer, says it like this, "...throughout our lives there is the disorder created by sickness, accidents, loss of work, loss of friends, all the crises that destroy our agendas, security, and carefully laid plans. Such disorder demands a gradual reordering of our lives." And the period of transition such a crisis represents is not an easy one to live through. It is a time of loss when we have yet to receive something new. It is a time of grief. This is a rule of life. It's an opportunity for us to step back and to build new rhythms, to practice. As Paul says, he talks about learning and and receiving those things you've seen from me, those things you've heard from me, what you've learned from me as a disciple now put into practice. And by the way, Paul learned those things from Jesus. And so Paul says, imitate me as I'm imitating Jesus. And that's the idea with the rule of life. One author calls a rule of life a set of practices to guard our hearts and guide our lives. Probably my favorite definition, one author says it like this, a rule of life is a holistic description of the spirit-empowered rhythms and relationships that create, redeem, sustain, and transform the life God invites you to humbly fulfill for Christ's glory. Now here's the reality, all of us have a rule of life. For some of us, it maybe is not written, it's not something we've ever examined or paid attention to, but all of us have habits, all of us have practices that help us to live towards something or not. The idea of a rule may sound restricting or limiting or maybe not something uh, fun or exciting, but the roots of the word actually come from the idea of a trellis. That offers support for a vine so that a vine can grow and expand and flourish. And again, the goal isn't the trellis. The goal is the wine, right? We know that we want a vineyard. And it's the same thing with the rule of life spiritually. It's about organizing a life that's centered on loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. about thinking and feeling and acting in alignment with what we say is our greatest happiness, which is God. It's living towards something intentionally. And so as we talk about this for the next few minutes, I want to encourage you to think of a rule of life in terms of a two-week sprint. You're going to prototype some things. You're going to evaluate those. You're going to try to live into those. And then you're going to have to iterate those as you go along. So don't think months. Don't think years. Just think weeks. So I want to talk now with you a little bit about what those practices look like. We have eight core practices that we're encouraging people to begin to build off. And again, not laws, not rules, not... It has to look exactly like this, but just eight core things that we feel like in this time of disruption can lead us towards a more non-anxious presence. So Robin, would you start with maybe the first one here?
1: Absolutely. So first, the most primary thing, the most important thing that we can do during this time is to begin our day in scripture and in prayer and um, reflection. I received a text this morning from my friend Destiny, who had been sharing um, that she had a lot of anxiety and concern uh, based on the situation that we're walking through, roommate situations, just a lot of heaviness in her life. And she chose, though, this morning to go straight to the word. And here's what she texted. She said, um, I'm filled with gratitude this morning, giving thanks to God and leaving worry and concern out of my hands. It's hard. But as I was journaling, the question, who's really in control of destiny, kept coming to my head. And then the Lord brought this verse from Psalm 94, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. This is what happens when we spend time in the word. When we choose to go there first in our day, we transform our our hearts and our minds and we bring them into alignment with um, what is true. Paul knew when he wrote that we were going to be spiraling out of control with our thoughts. And this is why he's given us this beautiful passage in Philippians 4. And he tells us, think on these things, the things that are true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. They're the things that are in the word. There's power to the word. We read in Hebrews 4, we're told that scripture, um, the word of God is living and it is active, sharper than any two-edged sword a little wisdom from my 12-year-old, Amelia. Between Brandon and I, we have nine children, so lots of wisdom from little people. Um, I was speaking to my 12-year-old, Amelia, who, when she experiences anxiety, when she's nervous, she regularly returns to the same passage in the Bible. And she knows this passage by heart now, but she wants to hold the Bible in her hands. She wants to open it and to see it. And so I was asking her about that, and she said, it's, it's like, mom, if I go away for a weekend at my grandparents' house or I'm at a friend's house and I get homesick and I start to feel nervous, I know where my home is. I know that it still exists, but I need to enter it to feel the peace and the safety and the security that exists of being home. And she said, that's how it is with God's word. I know that verse, but I, I just want to re-enter it and um, enter into the safety and security that exists in God's word. And there's so much truth there. The practice of opening the word and spending time, preferably in the beginning of our day before we rush to other things, will transform our hearts and our minds.
0: That's great. The second practice that we want to encourage in a rule of life is that of Sabbath and communal worship. The idea Mm -hmm. of Sabbath is literally to cease, to stop, to rest, and to worship. And at SOMA, the way that's happening now is virtually. We're not physically gathering, obviously, under the direction of our government and public health officials, but we are gathering online on Sundays. And we are getting together, seeing each other's faces, interacting with each other with the liturgy. Uh, we're also calling the church still during the season of Lent to fast and to pray on Wednesdays to set aside uh, a specific time to not eat food if that's medically possible and to just pray, pray for a personal renewal, for the renewal of our world, to pray uh, against this virus and to pray for God's will to be done. And so we think it's really important that we continue to find those spaces if we're going to we're going to have the energy, if we're going to have the vitality, if we're going to have life to offer to the world, that we are stopping to recenter ourselves and to, in a sense, get back into the flow of God's sacred time and God's sacred space, both outside of us and in us, so that we can move out into the world with confidence and with joy to make all of our problems go away. But it does root us in a community of Sabbath and a community of rest in a way that feeds our souls for the rest of the week.
1: And it's a practice that you would think by being quarantined is just gonna happen naturally. And I think those of us who have lived through this for a few weeks now know that's not the case. Some of our lives are even more hectic and frenetic. And so um, it's, it's at the top of the list of practices for this rule of life. Additionally, we want to encourage you to gather in weekly online community so many of you, we know, are meeting as missional communities, discipleship groups, Bible studies, um, virtually through Zoom or Hangouts, FaceTime. And uh, we believe that that is vital for your emotional and your spiritual well being. Be sure that you have at least one community where you can be honest with what you're feeling. Thursday morning, I was part of a Zoom Bible study with a group of women from my MC, and I was deeply impacted to hear woman after woman share her authentic feelings of what she's walking through. So I'm lonely, I'm disappointed, I'm afraid. And then each woman would respond just with words of truth and encouragement that reminded us of what is true. And that kind of community is going to be incredibly important to us. There's power in that. Brandon, um, you opened to talking about the Crouch article Um, One of the things I loved in that article was the author talking about this concept of um, the things that we do. So let's think for a second about community. The who and the why have basically stayed the same. So if I were to think about a missional community, the who is obvious, those who belong to that missional community, the why is that we're practicing the way of Jesus together and we're serving with each other. We're growing in depth of the Lord together. Those things have not changed. But what the author says is the what and the how now look dramatically different. And, and we cannot allow the what and the how to, to um, cause us to forget the most important which is the who and the why that we need to continue pressing into community continue to have the who and the why in front of us and allow god to give us great creativity in the what and in the how
0: yeah our fourth practice is making space for gratitude and lament obviously during the season paul talks hear specifically about the need for Thanksgiving, to give thanks, mm-hmm. to offer up our praises to God, to rejoice in the Lord. And there there is still much for us to be thankful for despite the pandemic. We have, many of us uh, are still healthy. Many of us uh, still have a lot of uh, things to be thankful for. And so we need to count those blessings each day and create space either in the morning first thing up, or maybe both the morning and the evening, space for gratitude. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for, for that. And and also, it's a, it's a time of sadness. And so we need to create space for grieving. As Jean Vanier said, this is, anytime there's change, there's a loss, and there's, there's deaths that are literally physically happening, but also there's the loss of opportunities. There's the loss of physical presence with our friends and our neighbors and our family. There's the loss of jobs and employment for many in our church. There's the loss of income. And for some of us, even the loss of a opportunity to get married and celebrate a wedding with our friends or to participate in a funeral right now. This is kind of a weird time that we're in, even to that degree. For my kids and our family, there's just simple things that are, it seems small, but for my kids are huge things like the loss of spring break, the loss of an ability just to get out with their friends and play, the loss of March Madness or family vacations. I mean, all of these things, we are trying to create time as a family to say, hey, it's okay to be sad. It's okay for you to grieve because we need to mourn those things if we're going to move forward and, and get to a place of praise. Praise does not mean that we don't mourn, that we're not sad. It, it means that we take those things to God and we offer them up as laments to Him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In addition, uh. It's super important also to consider as you create this rule of life for the next few weeks to take really good care of your body. Eat, sleep, exercise. I wanna just send a direct message to my almost 17 year old Joshua that probably going to bed at 3.30 a.m. and getting up at 11 isn't the most productive part for a rule of life here. Um, I'm kidding, I'm not kidding about Josh. But most of us aren't struggling with staying up till 3.30. But a lot of us, when we have disruption in our life and our schedules, we tend to abandon healthy practices, which then result in us feeling terrible, which then impacts how we feel emotionally and and this spiral begins. So work to create some realistic goals, healthy patterns for caring for your body during this time. Schedule time to take a walk, continue to meal prep if that's been your practice and be kind enough to yourself to get enough sleep.
0: So the next two practices are about limiting, and specifically about limiting our intake of news cycles and also screen time. It's easy in a time like this just to be glued to our televisions, our phones, and to be just consuming nonstop news cycles, waiting for the next wave of dreadful announcements to come from the White House or from the CDC or from our mayor or governors. And I want to encourage you to limit your intake of those news cycles, maybe twice a day, once after you've had time for prayer and reflection in the morning, maybe once in the afternoon or the evening after dinner, and then turn it off. It's likely that if something crazy happens, you're going to know about it um, in in plenty of time. And so I just want to encourage you not to live on the adrenaline cycles of the 24-hour news and uh, digital news outlets, but just to to limit that to a couple times a day, as well as your screen time. Just really manage how much time you're spending. Again, we're all for Netflix documentaries, catching up on your favorite app or your favorite show uh, that maybe you've been putting off for a while, but um, it it doesn't help you. That, That can become escapist. That can become an excuse for you to not be present with your family, not be out exercising or sleeping. Some of us We're up way too late at night because we're on our screens, on our phones, really for no good reason. And so I want to encourage you to limit that screen time as much as possible during the next few weeks.
1: And lastly, we really want to encourage you to practice generosity. Generosity with your time, with your money, your energy, your gifts, your social networks. I love that just even in the word itself, the concept of generosity Um, it it means that we're focused on others, right? This is the opposite of Donna and Tom's Treat Yourself Day. This is how do we treat other people? And lots of families and, um, and singles and couples are creating schedules, I know, in order to have some routine through their day, which there's a lot of wisdom in that. And a friend of mine shared that on their schedule for an hour a day, they just have the word others. And that entire hour for the whole family is spent focusing on how can we be generous with others. What that's meant from that for them is calling uh, friends and praying with them, uh, uh, doing beautiful chalk art, encouraging designs on neighbors' driveways, making greeting cards for people that are in nursing homes. The list can go on and on, but imagine what would happen if we built into our schedules an hour a day to be generous with others. That would be amazing. So we've talked about a lot. And let's just take a moment and catch our breath. And um, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer because in the end, all of this, the whole goal of all of this is to bring glory to God and so that we might be, ambassadors of the kingdom that can show a world the peace that only comes from Christ. And so I'm just going to ask you to join me in prayer as we lay our plans before the Lord. And um, yeah, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to gather virtually. I am humbled when I consider Paul in a jail cell, penning this um, this letter to the Philippians with no no internet, no FaceTime, no ability to connect and pray, and yet um, refining these amazing practices that filled him with your peace. And I ask Lord that you would help us to learn from his example, that we would read his words and meditate upon them And then we would consider how they could inform for us some practices that would allow us to draw into your presence and then to exude your peace to a world that is spinning out of control. I pray, Lord, that you would equip us to bring to you our anxieties and our fears and that we would begin the discipline of handing those thoughts over and replacing them, Lord, with the things that are true. And pure and good. We thank you, Lord, for the deep ways that you love us. We trust you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.